Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 28, and then we will go down to verse, um, in chapter 13. We won't read far down, but we'll, we'll read down to about verse um, 6. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man, what can man do to me. Now I want you to notice first off in verse 28, he ends chapter 12 by saying, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Then I also want you to notice, if you were to go over to chapter 13, we didn't read this far, but look at verse... Um, 15, through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for, su for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so here, here's one of the things that I, I feel like I'm right in saying. I really believe that in between, sandwiched in between these scriptures right here, is what he means when he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. For instance, whenever Paul is writing in Romans, and we go to chapter 12, and Paul says, um, he says, uh, therefore, let me go there so I don't misquote it. Romans chapter 12, and I'll just read it to you, hold on. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he goes down and he starts telling them, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Here's the point. I believe what the Hebrew author is doing is the same thing that Paul did in all his writings. He would say, we need to offer acceptable worship to God. And this is what acceptable worship looks like. And so when we get to the end of chapter 12, what has been the theme of Hebrews? Somebody tell me, what's kind of been the, the, one of the major themes of, of what this author is trying to do? Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Finish, the race. Finish the race. That's right. Don't turn back. Stay in the faith. Hold on to your original confidence, firm to the end. 
All through this book, that's what you see over and over. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And then he gets to the end and he says, make sure that we're offering acceptable worship to God. So in other words, if you are beginning to grow weary and you're beginning to fall backwards, what are you offering to God? There you go. That's right. And so I believe what this author is doing, if I'm interpreting it correctly, this author is basically looking at them and saying, all of you who have been neglecting the fellowship, remember chapter 10? You neglect the gathering together. All of you who have been slow to hear and dull of hearing, y'all remember that? All of you that have that used to joyfully accept the suffering and now you don't anymore. All of you that respond different to your suffering and you've grown weary and you've got droopy arms and you've got shaky knees, y'all remember all that? He's now looking at them and saying, that is not acceptable worship, right? Acceptable worship looks like this. And so it is my interpretation that that's the point of chapter 13. The end of chapter 12... We need to offer acceptable worship to God because our God is a consuming fire. (laughs) In other words, He don't accept this unacceptable stuff. If you're going to offer something to God, it better be worth offering. And so here's what that looks like in Hebrews chapter 13 going down through the the midst of it. And so that's where we begin at in uh, chapter 13 verse 1. That's kind of... This is really what I'm trying to teach you in, um, in whenever you open up your Bible to study. I'm really trying to teach you how to really meditate on something and ask yourself the question, what is this author doing? Why is he about to say this? What was he just trying to do? You remember how I've always told you to zoom out so that you can kind of get a visual of the entire book in your, in your mind? That's what we just did. We just looked back and said, okay, here's what the author has been doing with this entire book. Here's kind of where he was at before I got to chapter 13. And based on everything he's been talking about, I can definitively say that as I read chapter 13, my mindset should be, this is what acceptable worship looks like. And anything opposite to this is what? Unacceptable. Right? All right. So, let's see what acceptable worship looks like in um, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, the first thing we see here is he says, Let brotherly love continue. So, what we have here is a command of something that needs to go on. You have been doing this, because that's what it means when it says continue, right? So this is something that you have been doing, and now you need to be careful that you continue it. Because how many of you know that so many people come in here gung-ho about serving the body of Christ, and serving the saints, and, um, and, and serving God, and loving one another, and then before long, they've grown weary of that. And they're not doing it anymore. Right? 
And so he says, let brotherly love continue. Now, can any of you think of a passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews to where he talked about this already? Okay. You, you are. That's, that's chapter 3, verse, tw- verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So there he's calling for, a, uh, for that. One place in particular that... Anybody else think of a place before I call it out? What? Okay. What about in Hebrews? And we'll go to Romans 12 because you're right. That's a good example. What about Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6. And I want you to notice, let's start in verse 7 so that you get a little bit of context here to see what what the fruit of acceptable worship actually looked like. Now, what he's been talking about them here is they've been sitting under the Word of God. They've all been hearing it together. And it's like he's going to compare them to being like a field that all received the same rain. So we got this field out here in this church, right? And as we're preaching and studying the Word, the same rain is falling on everybody, right? But is everybody going to do the same thing with that Word? So here's his comparison in verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So in other words, if... If you actually produce fruit from God from what you receive from Him, then you receive a blessing from God, right? But let's go on and listen to the other people. Now remember, the same land receives the same rain. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is what? Worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now keep reading with me. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, if you were truly saved, you're going to produce a fruit, right? That is useful to the one who cultivated it. Verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. Now think about what he's saying right here. Try to tie it all together. Here he's saying, there is a group that he feels sure of that they're going to receive a blessing from God because God is not unjust to overlook the fruit that they're producing from the rain that's falling on them. And the fruit that they're producing for God is the love and the service to the saints. See, we don't see it that way a lot of times. But what you don't understand is God the Father loves nothing more than to look down here and see His children doing what? His work, but helping each other. What does you as a child love, to, I mean, as a parent love to watch your children do? 
I mean, you, you love to see them getting along and playing together and helping each other and loving each other. And, and so that's a fruit that is useful to God. And so he says to them in verse 10, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not become sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So here's the point. This author has already seen acceptable worship come from them. He's seen the the rain fall on them, the Word of God preached to them. And then he's seen them take that and produce a crop for God. And that crop was the service to the saints, the way that they loved each other. And now he says, I don't want you to grow sluggish in that, because if you grow sluggish in that, that's not acceptable worship. That's unacceptable worship. <laughs> no, no, and and we'll talk we'll we'll talk about that Sunday. <laughs> That's right. This is a warning. He's he's not trying to determine who is and who's not. Notice what he said. I feel certain of better things towards you, things concerning salvation. In other words, yes, there is a field and the rain falls on all of it. Some of it bears fruit, some of it bears thorns and thistles. The ones that bear fruit will receive the blessing for God. The ones that bear thorns and thistles and receive the same rain, they are near to being cursed and it is worthless. Near to being cursed. That's right. That's right. There's still hope because the rain's still falling. <laughs> but, so here's, here he's not trying to determine who is saved and who's not. He's looking at him. he's saying, I feel like you are more on the lines of you're going to produce a good fruit because I've already seen you. And I know that God is not unjust to forget your work. In other words, I know that the blessing from God is coming because I know that. So what I want to do is encourage you, don't get sluggish. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep holding on to the full assurance of hope steadfast to the end. And so ultimately when he gets to chapter uh, chapter 13, he just starts out with that command to remind them, acceptable worship looks like what you already know. You're already doing it. Let Brotherly love continue. Literally, when you look at this right here, I've got it pulled up right here. When you look at the original Greek, whenever we get the word brotherly love, it comes from this word Philadelphia, right in under it. That's that's what the word means. And it is a brotherly love, love of Christian brethren. Now if I click on this word and I go and look at it, I want to go down and look at some of these other um, definitions of it. Notice right down here, it says it's the love of brothers or sisters, brotherly love, and then you can go on down, um, the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. And so in all of that, and if you keep going down, from 
philadelphos, which is a fraternal affection, that means brotherly love, the love of brethren. So in other words, what you have in this is he's talking about a love that exists in the same way that it exists between people that come from the same womb. Chester, you love Kanatha? Would, um, that's right, if, um, if you thought she was in danger, what would you do? Well, I'm not talking about somebody's trying to hurt her. I'm just talking about that she's in danger. She's standing on a railroad track, train's coming, and she don't know it. What are you going to do? Now, that's the kind of love that just usually naturally exists between brothers and sisters, especially brothers and sisters that come up together. But even if it's not that close, there is a natural connection for the most part. Again, we're in a cursed world and it's not perfect. <laughs> yeah, even if she hits you with the phone. <laughs> she can hurt you, but nobody else can. <clears throat> but th there is, there is a brotherly love that just natu naturally exists, right? Because we come from the same mother or we come from the same father. And as much as we don't get along, there's always going to be something there that we know that's my brother, that's my sister. Uh, they may get on my nerves worse than anybody in this world, but that's my brother, that's my sister. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And so this is what he's saying about the church. Acceptable worship to God is when brothers and sisters recognize that they have the same Father, that they are joined together in this uh, in this family. And because of that, what is going to come from us is love toward each other. And we will serve each other. And we will help each other. And we will be there for each other. Now granted, we have to be prodded toward that. Remember what he said in, in Hebrews chapter 10? Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but rather provoke one another unto love and good works. And so we as Christians, we have to be provoked to that. But he wants them to understand at one time you just did it. Now don't grow weary in it. Don't grow sluggish in it. Keep doing it. I know you get frustrated. You think I don't get frustrated as the pastor? <laughs> Come on, guys. Talk to me. Y'all think I don't get frustrated as the pastor? Amen, brother. <laughs> Are you frustrated? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seriously though. But we have got to be people that we continue to offer acceptable worship to God. I, I'm going to tell you, I get mad sometimes and I think, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on. Y'all tracking with me? I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep doing what I do. Because I am not going to grow sluggish and I'm not going to quit. And that's what he's doing here. He is exhorting you to let your brotherly love continue. Let your service to the saints continue. Keep loving, keep serving, keep helping. Don't grow sluggish. Quit. I mean, don't quit. Keep going. Yeah, don't quit. That come out wrong. Don't quit. I'm sorry.
Yeah? Right. Yeah. Well, and that those are marks of immaturity. And I don't say that as an as an insult. I don't. That those really are. I we've watched them fight over who's going to take the garbage out. Um, we've wa- I mean, we've I'm t- we've seen the same stuff, but those are marks of immaturity. And can I just be honest with you? If that deacon don't come to a place to where he recognizes that, he may not need to be a deacon anymore, just to be honest with you. Um, and the same way with a pastor. You ever see a pastor act like that in towards things like, I mean, we, we've got to grow up. And that's another thing that this author is telling these people. Y'all remember that? We've got to quit being immature and we've got to grow up. We've, so so you, you're exactly right. And that's the point is there is a fear here in this author. There is a fear that instead of them continuing to produce fruit, that is evidence of salvation, that they're going to start producing fruit that actually proves otherwise. And so he comes in and he gives all these warnings. That's why he gives all these warnings. He's not telling them you're going to lose your salvation, you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying that you're fixing to prove that you never had it. And so he warns and he warns and he warns and then he gets to the end and he says, Guys, we got to offer acceptable, acceptable worship to God. For our God is a consuming fire. And so let brotherly love continue. Don't grow sluggish in it. Yeah, you brothers and sisters make you mad. Yeah, you hit them with phones and rolling pins and bats and bricks and I can't even tell you all the stuff I've hit my sisters with. But, at the end of the day, we come from the same Father. We come from the same Father. And we keep loving each other. And please God with acceptable worship as we let this brotherly love continue. Remember, this is not something you create. But you have to mature, right? And so it's funny how we can mature in the flesh and yet we can't figure it out in the spirit, in the church, (laughs) a lot of times. So again, here we go. Let brotherly love continue. That is the first thing that you do in order for acceptable worship to be offered to God. Let brotherly love continue. Don't get sluggish in it. Keep serving the saints. Keep doing what you can do. And then... We go to, anybody got anything else to say on that before we move to verse 2? Because what you get in verse 2 and 3 are examples of brotherly love. So next, notice in in the first verse he says, Let brotherly love continue. He gives a command, this needs to happen. And then in verse 2 he gives you an example of what that would look like. And so first off he says the first thing that it looks like is that we don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So not just brothers, but we don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And he says here, For thereby, as we do this, some have entertained angels unaware. 
pretty interesting, right? What do you think he's saying there? What do you think he's talking about? What about hospitality? What is it about hospitality that um, has to do with brotherly love? So just just a helping heart. All right? Okay. We're actually doing it unto him. Right. Yeah. He said, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And they look back at him and say, When did we ever see you thirsty? When did we ever see you naked? And he said, as much as you did it to the least of one of these my brethren, you did it unto me. And so that's exactly right. That's a very good, that's a very good thing to remember is that even Jesus looked at it and said, this is a way that you actually show love unto Christ by, by, by serving that away. All right. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2. We're going to look at other places that have things to say about hospitality. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we've got the qualifications of a pastor here, or an elder of the church. And he says, therefore, an overseer must be, this is things he must be, all right? He must be above reproach. In other words, he ain't got a bunch of things out there that the world can look at him and say, well, he's this and a con artist and he's a thief and he's, a, he's this and this and this. He, the elder of the church needs to be somebody that has been living a life as a Christian in such a way that it's hard for them to find something that they could just point at him and say, well, he is a bad this. All right? So he must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. Or literally, that Greek would read, he needs to be a one-woman man. That's exactly the way it would read. He needs to be sober-minded. He needs to be self-controlled. He needs to be respectable. And then what's that next one say? Hospitable. In other words, he needs to be the kind... Here's what I see in this. Hospitality is one quality that shows a loving heart. You see that? Hospitality is one quality that shows a mature heart. A heart that is mature in the love of God. And so he doesn't just see himself as selfish and, and he, he don't want to share with anybody else. He don't want to have anybody else... Um, around him, but instead, this is the kind of person that he is a person that he will share and he wants, he wants to show the love of God and the love of Christ to others. And so that is a quality that you look for in a, in a elder of the church or a man of God. And then another example, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. Now this is where um, they're, they're looking to enroll widows in the church so that the church can support them. 
So they don't, have a, they don't have a man to help support them, and so the church is going to take in these widows and fully support them. But here's a qualification for the church to take her in. Having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality and has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted her... In other words, again, here's what you see. They're looking for a, the evidence of a Christian heart, right? They're looking for the evidence of somebody that, that is, is mature in the faith and somebody that has a, the example of a loving heart. And one of the ways that that is displayed is that she has been one that is, um, has shown hospitality. She's been a hospitable person. And so there are two scriptures of where you see that hospitality was a very important quality when it come to a mature Christian and when it came to somebody that had a loving heart that wanted to actually share that love with others. And so one of the ways that you see that brotherly love is actually continuing is when we are hospitable toward one another and even as far as toward strangers. So we want to, to love others. We want to be able to, to share what God has blessed us with, with others. And so he says in verse 2 of Hebrews 13, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For, and here's why, Thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And so there... There's some debate on what he actually means here. You know, in chapter 11, he's been given all kind of Old Testament examples, right? Abraham, Sarah did this, Moses, Daniel, all of them by faith did this. So it's very likely that he's just channeling back to some Old Testament examples. Can any of y'all think of some Old Testament examples where people entertain angels and for a while they were unaware of it? Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah had three angels, that, that three messengers from God that came to, um, to tell him to get out of the city. And he was hospitable to them. He brought them in. Anybody think of anybody else? Abraham and Sarah. A couple of times. That's exactly right. Anybody else? Gideon. That's exactly right. Huh? Japheth. Uh, yeah, Jacob, that's exactly right. And Jacob wrestled with him. He said, you ain't leaving until you bless me. <laughs> All right. So there were, there were several examples in Old Testament scriptures to where, to where God sent messengers. And if you'll remember, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse, um, start in verse 13. And verse 14 is where I want you to, to see this at. But in 13 you'll see he's talking about angels. Hebrews 1 verse 13 says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now what does that tell you about angels? What is, their, what is one of their primary roles here on this earth? That's right. They are ministering spirits. 
sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And so, in so many different ways, they minister and they serve us. Now, I'm not telling you today that each one of you have a guardian angel and that there's... I'm not saying that. Um, there, there is some teaching in the Bible that may kind of point toward that to some degree. But the point here is this. We are being ministered to and served by angels. Um, I can give you many examples in the Old Testament to where um, uh, angels were going to um, protect this person and angels were over here ministering to this person and angels were delivering messages to this person and angels were keeping um, uh, harm from coming toward this one and angels were always working to serve the ones that were to inherit salvation. And so he says here very plainly, the point being... You better not neglect to show hospitality first and foremost because it is the outpouring of brotherly love and the evidence that needs to continue from you to begin with. But adding an even no, a better note to this, you may be entertaining an angel unaware. And so he's not trying to put angels on some kind of pedestal, but he wants you to understand these are ministering servants that are sent to serve you. All right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So you, so you, and you see that as uh, Sonia said earlier. She she found it also in Romans chapter twelve. Is that where it was? I think it was. Um, so it, there's several places in there that remind us that that we need to make sure that we are being hospitable people because that, again, is acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. And so there is a warning that comes with that one that says, be careful because you could be entertaining an angel. And here's what's important about that. An angel is God's servant. You might want to be careful how you treat them. And Lot understood that. You remember what happened when the angels came down there? Lot, I mean, uh, Sodom was a bad place. That's right. And he offered his own daughter up to protect the angels of God because he understood they, they, belong, they belong to God and he was willing to do whatever it took in order to show hospitality and to, to protect them, even though the truth of the matter is they didn't need protecting. Um, they could protect themselves. All right, now we move on to verse 3. Here's the next way that you let brotherly love continue. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now, does anybody remember a place where this, he's already commended them for doing this? In Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 32. He says, But recall the former days, 
When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So here's again, here's what he's doing. They're already showing brotherly love, right? But he's seeing some drifting back. He's seeing some coming away from this. He's seeing some signs that instead of pursuing on and receiving the blessing, they are actually starting to bear thorns and thistles and they're near to being cursed. And so now he comes in again and he says, y'all have to make sure that you keep having compassion on those who are in prison. Now does that mean that we have to have a prison ministry? What's he, who's he actually talking about? Who's in prison here? Is it people that have committed a crime and now they're serving their time for committing the crime? That's exactly right. People are in prison because of their faith. Do what? In prison? Right. Yeah, okay. All right. I see what you're saying. So, so what, what, what you've got here is you've got a command that's saying you cannot slide backwards in this. You need to keep, and here's the way I interpret this. You have to keep having compassion toward people in their sufferings. Whether it's people that are suffering in prison for their faith, whether it's people that are, um, are, are goods are being plundered, whether it's people that are being reproached for the name of Christ, whether it's people that are just enduring a suffering and a trial because Satan has asked for them. Whatever the case may be. He's saying this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Why? What's the end of it say? What's the end of that verse say? The last um, seven words. What does he mean by that? In other words, these are your brothers, right? These are your sisters. This is your family. You remember when uh, Jesus was speaking and um, he had a big crowd around him and his, uh, some people came up to him and said, Hey, your, your mother and your brothers want to see you. And you remember what Jesus said to them? And then who did he say his mothers and brothers were? The ones that do the will of God are my mother and my brothers. Now, was he trying to disrespect his family at all? No, on the cross when he's dying, he asked John, take care of my mom. He loved his mother. He loved his brothers. But the point being was that Jesus understood that in the grand scheme of things, this is only a temporary family. In the grand scheme of things, Chastity and Kenetha, their, their family life can't even be slightly compared to the eternal life and the eternal family that they share with. And so what we have to understand is that we need to make sure that we recognize that we are members one of another. We're in the same body, the same Father, and when you hurt, what? 
And when you rejoice, I what? And that's what we're called to do. Some examples of that. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 12, verse 26. Somebody read that for me. There you go. Somebody read Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So, there again, and I could take you to other scriptures. The point is that nowhere, no matter where you go, the teaching of the New Testament is that acceptable worship to God is brotherly love. Brotherly love is shown in hospitality toward one another, toward strangers, and even sometimes entertaining angels. Brotherly love is also shown in remembering each other in their sufferings, whether it be suffering in prison for your faith, no matter, and we could go through all those again. The point being is that we show brotherly love by when one of us hurts, we hurt. I don't want to see you hurt. Because I hurt. When one of you rejoices, it ought to make me rejoice. If you succeed, I ought to be happy about you succeeding. Because we're members one of another. And so, since we are in the same body, we need to remember each other in our sufferings. Alright. Verse uh, 4. This is as far as we'll get tonight. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So... Here's what we have in this. When you study the Greek, the way it starts out, if you were just reading it in the Greek, it would say, it would just start out marriage, and then it would say, should be honored. It don't actually say let, but the reason why, why they translate it in this way is because they, it shouldn't just be translated as a statement of fact because is it true that marriage should be honored? Is, so that is a truth. But what he's doing here is he's actually giving commands to tell them here's what you do in order to offer acceptable worship. So he's not just telling them, hey guys, marriage is honorable. That's not what he's doing. He's actually telling them Y'all need to make sure that marriage is honored. Now let's understand, what do you think he means when he says marriage should be honored? What's, what's, that, word, what's that mean? Okay. Here's the word right there. Timios, or however you say that. It's Strong's Greek 5093. And what is the definition of it? Of great price, precious, honored. In other words, here's the way that you should think about marriage. So let me click on this and let's see what else we can find down through here on this particular word. 
So it means, it's an adjective that describes properly valuable as having recognized value in the eyes of the beholder. It can be translated as dear, honor, precious, respected, very costly, held as of a great price, like costly stones, held in honor, esteemed, especially dear. So what's he trying to tell us with this Greek word about marriage? What does he want to, how does he expect us to view marriage? See, here's the problem. We're in a culture today that does not highly esteem and really put any value on marriage. Right? Now, no different than the culture Jesus was living in. You remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked Him a question, testing Him. They said, hey, Jesus, uh, can a man divorce his wife for, for any cause? And Jesus said, no. Let me tell you what God said from the beginning. From the beginning, He said, A man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? And so, Jesus comes in on the scene and He says to them, From the beginning, this is the way God designed marriage. And then they come back and they say, Well then, why did Moses say, to give a certificate of divorce. In other words, here's what the Pharisees, Pharisees' view of marriage was. It was not held in honor. It was not esteemed. It was, if I get tired of something, I can just write a certificate of divorce. It's just that simple. That was the view of marriage. Now today, let's be honest, we're sinners. And in the world today, that's the same view. Same view. And so here he comes on, and I want you to notice a word. Let me back up. Because I want you to notice up here first off, um, marriage should be honored by all, everyone. And the marriage bed undefiled. I can't remember where I found, where I found that at now. But anyway, the point being is this. You've heard it a million times, but what does marriage represent? So from the beginning when God created a man and He created a woman and He took the woman and He brought her to the man, the father walked his daughter down the aisle in the Garden of Eden and He brought her to Adam. And Adam looked at her and he spoke the first vows that said, Wow, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When that happened, we didn't know. Paul said in Ephesians 5, that was a mystery for a long time. We didn't know what it represented. We didn't know why God created it. Why'd God do this? Because everything God created, He created to be a picture of Him in some way. And then when Christ and the church come on the scene, we understood he said, I'm saying that it refers to the way that Christ loves His bride, the church. And so ultimately, marriage is a picture to the world that says, this is the way that Jesus loves me. 
Now, when we take that picture and we defile it, granted, we've done it. It's been done since way back when, right? We're sinners. That's what, I mean, we mar God's image. That's the whole point of our sin. We have all uh, sinned and what? Fallen? We have marred the image of God. That's what we do. And so now as Christians in a new creation, He says to us, Hey, let marriage be held in high honor by everyone. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. In other words, there is a way to defile the marriage bed. And we see it happening in our culture all over the place today. Let me tell you something. Marriage in our culture today, I'm talking about some of your kids. Marriage is not held in high regard. Matter of fact, they have bought into this lie that love is love. And if a man loves a man, just let him love him. And if a woman loves a woman, just let them marry. Wrong. No. You call it whatever you want to call it. But there ain't nothing about that that is a marriage. And so, don't defile the marriage bed in that way. Don't defile the marriage bed by adulterous relationships because notice what he says next. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So in other words, if we were to go down here, let me, let me come down here and look and see what he's talking about. <clears throat> So keep the marriage bed undefiled, so untainted, free from contamination, unsoiled and pure, for God will judge the sexually immoral. And notice, what is that? Can you read that word? What is the Greek word in which we translate it sexually immoral? Pornos. It's where we get our word porn today. In other words... Any act of sex that is outside of the design of God in which He created it. I don't care if it's some translated fornication, which is sex before marriage. Some translate it um, um, adultery. Some translate it homosexuality. You can translate whatever you want to. The term that encompasses it all is pornos. Porn. Because porn encompasses every type of sexual immorality there is. And so here he says, God is going to judge all of that sexual activity that is immoral. He's going to judge it. See, we look at it today as love is love. What's the big deal? And I'm telling you, I've got kids that grew up in this church and are out in that world today that are blasting this stuff all over Facebook and all I can do is look at it and go, y'all have no idea. God is going to judge this and more than likely, He's going to be judging you too. And I hate to say that, but right now you're not bearing fruit that is showing a love for your brother. You're not bearing fruit that's showing that the Word of God is coming into you and you're bearing fruit for Him, but instead you're bearing thorns and thistles. And you know what that means, don't you? Near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. And that's scary. 
That is very scary. But we keep on going. And the adulterers. And again, this is just um, an adulterous man, a man who is guilty with a married woman, perhaps a primary word. But if I were to click on this word, you go down there and look. Basically, it's an adulterer or one who is faithless toward God, who is ungodly. So there again, what you're seeing is that this is not an evidence of somebody that has faith in God, trusting God's Word, trusting God's promises. This is somebody who it, their heart is sold out to the world. This is not somebody that's fighting their sin. This is somebody that is not holding marriage in high esteem and is not keeping the marriage bed undefiled, but instead sexual immorality has their heart and they serve it and they love it. Alright, so we will pick up next week on verse 5. Keep your life... And here's where we'll... Let me go over to chapter five, verse 5 and show you this first word. Notice um, where it says, keep your lives. It comes from the Greek word tropos, Strong's Greek 5158. And it means a turn, a deportment or character. And so when we get down through here, it says properly, a new direction from taking a turn or adopting a new manner. The new course of conduct somebody has because they know Christ as Lord. So what he's saying here is when we translate it, keep your life, really the Greek word means you have a new way of life. You don't live the same way that you used to live. And so because you have a new manner of life, this is what the new manner of life looks like. And so next week we're going to start looking at more of what the new manner of life should look like for somebody who is their hope and their satisfaction is found in God through Christ and Christ alone. And, um, and, and you'll see what that looks like next week. And so he gives them a command to pursue this kind of a mindset and this kind of a life. Alright, any questions tonight on what acceptable worship looks like to God? And keep in mind, He's not telling them this because this is just naturally what they're doing. They're actually drifting back from this, right? And so now He's telling them, hey, you've got to stay in it, you've got to stay in it. So as you hear this, if you fall in some of those categories, guess what your job is to do? That's right. Now you've heard the Word of God, you've the land that's been rained on, and now you can do two things with it. You can produce a fruit for God, or you can let this rain fall on you, and you can bear thorns and thistles and not produce a fruit for God, and you can follow the path that will end up to being burned. That's the warning. Anybody else have any, have any questions on, on acceptable worship and what that looks like? Did I confuse anybody with any of it? All right. <laughs> For our God is a consuming God. That's exactly right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you all for your time and attention. Like I said, we'll come back next week and we'll take a look at what this new manner of life looks like and, um, and how, we, how we live it out.
All right, let me close in a word of prayer. Father, tonight we, um, we know that your rain has fallen. Father, we, um, Lord, we, we've, we've heard what acceptable worship looks like. And Father, we know what you, are, what you bid us to do. And Father, now we have a responsibility to, um, to trust you, to follow you, and to, um, uh, Lord, to, to serve you where you would allow. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to, um, uh, Lord, to, to continue brotherly love. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to, uh, to show hospitality to each other and to even strangers. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, you would help us to remember each other and our sufferings. Father, I, I, just, I pray, God, Lord, that you would just keep growing us in you, Father. Lord, um, we do have new lives because of you, and we know that. And so, Father, I just pray, God, that you would help us to, to live it out and show us what that looks like in our life as we live it out, God. Lord, we, we become new people. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to just uh, uh, to grow up. Father, to grow up and to, to just continue to become more and more like the image of your Son. Father, we, uh, we got a long ways to go, but God, I know that you're still working in us. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us with it. Father, I pray that you'd uh, keep us safe as we leave here. Father, I pray that everybody would get home safely and that um, it would be a good rest of the week for everyone here. Father, I pray if it be your will that you would bring us back together Sunday and that, um, Lord, we can just uh, hear from your word again and, and Lord, just uh, find a way to apply it to our lives so that, again, we become more like you. Father, we love you. Forgive us again where we fail you, but thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.